Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Dylan is the more gracious one of us. If it gets stolen again, I'm calling two Italians from Rhode Island. 24 hours, they'll be back here with that person. Problem solved. Um, Hey, this year, just in an effort to kind of, uh, with cutbacks and just finances and, and COVID, we took less of an approach. Normally, we put signs all over the town, and we've got a banner that'll be in front, but we really, really encourage you to go out and grab just a tiny stack of these cards and just invite people. You know that Easter, more people give their life to Christ during Easter than any other time of the year. And uh, 85% of people, so they say, whoever they are, would go to church if someone would invite them. We encourage you. You've got friends and you've got family, and we encourage you to just uh, grab these and get those in the hands of people that are there. I, I also want to, uh, I can't go any further without giving a shout out to my friend, Don uh, Juan Valdez, uh, uh, Ray Doily. Where are you, buddy? He's here somewhere. He stopped by. There he is. And he gave, me, he gave me some Juan Valdez coffee. For those of you that don't know, he's moved down to um, Colombia, and he's been down there, and so I call him the Don, and uh, just appreciate that. And if you come and visit me in the office, we'll drink some fine instant coffee from, from Colombia. Praise God. Uh, what happened here this morning, that's the kingdom. That's what, the, when the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is with you, even in your heart, the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, the king, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's not looking to install himself as president or the, the, the leader of the UN or the leader of NATO. He is looking to Lord, be Lord of lives one at a time. And when we enter into that kingdom and we bring ourselves faults and all, and we take the risk and we step out, this is how God meets us. And uh, my prayer has been for some time, and especially for those of you that have been coming here from 10 to 10.30, we pray for a half hour before service. Our prayer has been that God would show up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, those of you that were there, listen to what we prayed and look at what happened. This is how God moves. And, and I appreciate the Father. He has all authority. He created all things. He sent his Son, and I appreciate Jesus. He died on the cross bled for our sins, rose from the dead, and is ever at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. But I so appreciate the presence of the Holy Spirit because he shows up. He is the one that God has left us. And all of his attention is about bringing your attention to the attention of heaven. He's about pointing us to Jesus. And, and what happened here, this is, this is what church is. This is what church is about. And uh, that's what I really want to talk with you today, is I want to talk to you about the kingdom of heaven as it relates to being anxious and anxiety. And we're just simply continuing in the book of Luke. I love the fact that we're going through books of the Bible because it's not like we're, uh, I'm getting in a fight with somebody and then all of a sudden I'm turning to a passage and I'm pounding somebody from the pulpit. That's, that happens in church work sometimes. And this is why we go through books of the Bible, because we want God to speak for himself. Bible uh, God says he's written, he's given us everything that we need. The word is powerful. It's like a two-edged sword dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our lives. But if ever there's been a season for anxiety, whether you're watching online or you're here in this place, the past three years have been bundled with it. I didn't realize I had phobias until COVIDs. Like, I didn't realize that I had a fear of finances until the market went crazy. I didn't realize, thank you so much. Dunkin' Donuts, hot coffee, extra cream, two sugars. <laughs> but I will drink this today, thank you. I'm so selfish, I'm trying to get a cup of coffee. I, I will though, I'm working on it. I'm working you guys over on this. 
But think about the amount of anxiety, the fear. Now listen, let me tell you what. Uh, when, let's talk COVID for a second. Our communication in this church has been really simple. When is the right time for you to come back? When you're ready. And many of us are ready. Even when the government decided to lift sanctions, there are some people that are just vulnerable. And there are some people that are really, really concerned. They have reason to be concerned. We're not in this church about trying to get everybody on the same place when it comes to COVID, when it comes to politics. That's, that's not even what the kingdom of heaven is about. We try to get people in the same place of Jesus Christ, which is about Christ and his kingdom and living a Christian life and living like Jesus lived. That's what we're here for. We're not here to settle all, answer all your questions, settle all your conflicts and, and work all that stuff out. We're about bringing everybody to the get, to, together on the same page to say there is one Lord, one Savior, and his name's Jesus, and he is alive and well, not only in the world, but he was right here this morning doing business with people, doing things for them that we couldn't do for ourselves. If you and I could solve all of our problems, this building would be completely empty. If we didn't realize that uh, if Jesus never... Uh, uh, was able to give love to us and give hope to us. This building would be completely empty. But God has created us in the only healthy codependent relationship in the universe, and that is a dependency upon God. And he does it through his spirit by the authority of the Father. But that doesn't make anxiety disappear. Uh, supposedly, and I'm going to let the word speak here in a moment, but but I just feel led to clap on the offbeat with what I'm sharing. Supposedly, 30% of everybody in the world will experience in their lifetime a general anxiety disorder. That's just the general stuff. That's not talking about the things that were difficult. Let me give you an example. I've noticed during COVID that people who struggled with agoraphobia really have a challenge with it now. I've watched people who have a struggle of anxiety over sickness, maybe on a level of hypochondria, really have a struggle now with fear. I've seen people who have social anxiety. When they walk into a room, their heart just starts beating. They're nervous. Everything in them is saying, get me out of here. Please get me out of here. And, and just... And I've seen that just go through the roof. This, this, there's plenty of spaces in this church, and we would love to fill them. We have space overflow on the balcony. There's more room than we know what to do with. But we also realize for the other hundred of you that have been watching online, and some of you really consistently, uh, we want you to know that we're not trying to get everybody on the same page. That's not what we're called to do. But the reason why we have those bracelets in the back is because there are some people that do have a battle with cancer, a fight with fear, um, a, a, a challenge with a loved one. And, and to be honest with you, I go down and visit my parents now pretty regularly, and it would just take one mild version of COVID to take my father's life. So those things are real. This isn't something that we made up in our head. But I feel that the hour that we live in has created such a heightened sense of fear that people in the church, followers of Christ, have somehow moved Jesus out of that space in their heart that was intended for him to be for peace. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Let me just, I, I used, you know, anxiety disorder, but I'll give you a different example altogether. Financially, we are afraid. How many of you are like feeling, uh, this is rhetorical, right? But we're all feeling the pinch of, of inflation. In fact, it's amazing, the place that we're not really keeping a close eye on it, the worst place that it's happening is on groceries. Do you know that groceries have jumped like 25, 30%? So imagine now you have a, a budget for food, it just increased 30%. And maybe it was hard for you to take care of that food budget right there alone. And you got to eat, right? You got to eat. You got to feed your kids. You got, but like... You, how do, how do we handle that? We have some of us here that are looking at a 401k and saying, one day, should Jesus be gracious and I live a full life, I'm going to have to live off of that. And we're watching it go. I remember, and I'm going to preach the word here, but I, I just, I think 
I think if the word doesn't meet with our life, then what, what, are we, what are we here for? I could put on a great show for you and talk really holy and spiritual, but if this, if this word can't have feet that hits the street of where you live, then we're just missing the intention of God's word for our life. Um, I remember when I saw down the road where my parents were going to be at this place. And uh, whether you, you might not know this, and I'm not saying this, I'm not worried about my reward being stolen or anything like that, for those of you that are in the Christian thinking world. Uh, but uh, I worked for decades sacrificially in ministry. Uh, I didn't even really get paid for it for decades, decades. And while a lot of people were working in jobs that were promising them a pension or paying into their retirement or they had enough money to put into their retirement, we barely ever had enough money to just barely get by. And I remember my anxiety as I watched the economy go like this and I started waking up at two. How many, what is it about two and three in the morning? Raise your hand if you ever wake up fearful at two or three in the morning. Thank you. All right, there's something about that. I've heard that it's when the uh, internet broadcasts massive waves of data signals. I don't think so. I think it's just, it's the hours of anxiety, two and three o'clock, and I would wake up and my heart would be beating. And I would say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? What did you? And then I would wake up in the day and I'd, I'd, I'd be entering my day with anxiety. I'd focus on what I had to do. And then in my pause moments, I'd be like, oh my goodness, how am I going to pay for this? How are we going to do it? We were even so tight with our finances. We were in a position at a place where we were employed, where we were worried if we would, if, if we lost our job, that we would lose our home. And we lived literally sold our home because we didn't want to be in the position where we were house poor and then lost our income because of cutbacks that we would just totally not be able, we'd lose our house. Anybody hearing me? Anybody live in that place? Oh my goodness, anxiety is a killer. And that's why I want to read to you from Luke chapter 12. And I'd encourage you to turn there in your phone. If you're at home or you're here and there's, we're gonna put Bibles back in the pew in light of COVID knowing that it doesn't stick to, to stuff and we're in one service right now. Um, excited about Easter? Aren't those times great? 8.30, 10 and 11.30. So I mean, and we're keeping to one hour for those services and guess what? We're bringing in bunnies, baby chicks and baby ducks. It's adorable. <laughs> This is where you want to bring your grandkids and your children and your children and your children. Like, this is a great service to invite them. And so I encourage you, please grab these cards and don't give them to strangers. You know, when you're like at the market and you're like, hey, I just want to invite you to church. And then you're hanging out all day with your kids and you're not like, hey, uh, we got something great going on here. We really do Easter and Christmas well. And uh, where you, this is the service you want to bring somebody to, but. Anxiety is real. I'm going to start a little bit ahead of where I'm going here, and we're going to jump back to read it, but let me give you the words of Jesus. It's found in Matthew, but this verse is Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start at verse 22, and then I'm going to go back a section because it'll make sense once I do that. <clears throat> I'm reading from the ESV. And he said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For your life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you being anxious, this is one that just, this verse grips me, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. How many of you have come to realize that you may not be able to add time to your life through worry, but you have felt the effects of decreasing life from anxiety? So we can't add to it, but we definitely can subtract from the quality of our life. He said, if you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Why? And then he goes on and he says, let me give you another example. Consider the lilies, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, they don't bake flowers, it's actually kindling for starting a fire. It's like this beautiful thing that you look at and the next minute you're, you're starting fires with it. If God clothes the fields like this and then tomorrow it's thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? And then this is the part that grips me in this section here. Oh, you have little faith. Ouch. You have little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. So he separates those. He's not saying don't be worried about what you'll eat, what you'll drink. He's saying don't worry about what you'll be clothing yourself with, what you're going to be eating or what you're going to be drinking. And by the way, hashtag don't worry because I'm just using these two small things as examples of your whole life where you can be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What happened here is what church is supposed to be. That is the kingdom. I've grown up in the Catholic Church. I appreciate every single priest and every single nun that when I was a kid and I was growing up near the largest monastery in America at that time until they moved it to Boston, they would put their hand and they'd be like, God bless him. There were some really, there are, some, there are good and bad people wherever you go, but there were some really good godly people and they would pray on me and say, God, use him to show people who you are. I believe that I'm not just here because of my mother's prayer, I'm here because of those people's prayers over my life. But the dimension of my faith and my life and the expression of a church like this, oh, I'll take this any day, that God is so real and so present. I love liturgy. I love uh, tradition. I love all those things. But man, I love more than anything when God's presence shows up. I love it. It's just natural to me. But he's saying to us, he's saying, listen, stop seeking after all these things that really have you all worried. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Instead, seek the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And then he goes on and he says this little tag. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you know what? We heard... We heard two people that felt moved so strongly about something that God was saying in their heart that they felt that all of us needed to hear it, which that's what a prophetic word really is. And what God was saying to us through them and through them taking, by the way, thank you for having the courage to do that. God's saying, hey, wake up. I'm not going to withhold things from you. I want to give things to you. And Jesus, right here in our verse, in keeping with what God was saying here in a service, and none of those people knew what I was talking about, God says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he adds this little tag in here, sell your possessions and give to the needy. I'm so grateful it doesn't say sell everything you have and give to the needy. But God is looking for us to be part of the solution. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every day of my life, I wrestle with that. Now to really, don't be anxious, that's what Jesus is saying here, but to really get the full grip of what Jesus is saying, you have to get in on the whole conversation. Have you ever been in a conversation and you watch somebody jump into the middle of it and you're like, oh, they have no idea what's going on here. But you're like, I'm just gonna keep quiet, <laughs> you know? Just gonna shut up. I must feel if we just read that part, we absolutely don't get what Jesus was saying with this. I could talk in a thousand directions about anxiety, and I could talk about fear. And anxiety and fear are two different things, by the way. And we'll look at that, but but it's the section before this that really helps you frame what Jesus is trying to speak to you and I about. And it's found starting in verse 13. Let me read that to you. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? This is why I know Jesus is a city guy, right? Man, what do you think? Do I look like a judge? That's, if I were to, like, Jesus does not speak King James, by the way. I'm sorry, I cannot help thee with thy problem. He was like, man, who made me judge over you? I can, I can hear the, the humanness of Jesus in this. Like, what, what do you get? Jesus is like, what are you getting me involved in? I think this is the area where sometimes in our life, we're praying for stuff and we're like, God, please just help me with it. And Jesus is like, that ain't my kingdom. I'm not worried about that. Like, I hope it works out for you, but like, this isn't, you know, I know every hair that falls out of your head, but I'm not worried about everything you're trying to grab. I, uh, years ago, I, uh, one of the greatest speakers of wisdom in my life was my uncle-in-law. And uh, uh, even to this day, like whenever I hit a difficult spot, he has this gift. We all have somebody in our life that has this gift of simplifying problems and getting us over ourselves. So he's my go-to with that. But uh, at one point, uh, for the longest time in the mortgage company, they were they were closing these deals. And he started coming to me. And he's like, hey, he goes, Rev. They used to call me the Rev. They're like, Rev got this deal, man. It's a big one. We're going to be set. If you pray, pray that it closes. And if it closes, I'm going to give you a thousand dollars. So they, the other guys were really like sharks, you know, and uh, go to a, go to a bank, not a mortgage broker, by the way, if you ever need a loan, but I would pray this prayer. I would just, I would be like, Lord, just thank you for this opportunity. You know, I'd love a thousand dollars. So I pray to come through, but however, I pray if this is not what is in the best interest for this woman, that you would just have the deal fall apart. And I could hear eight of the guys like, man, why are you talking to him like that? You know, uh, but I, uh, there were a couple of times where I got the bonus and thank goodness like, it came through, but I would always throw in that caveat and they were like, oh, Rev, you know. You know, so, and then they started coming to me when they wanted to hear truth, but they didn't, you know, they knew they, they, did, they would just look for what they wanted to hear and they would come to me. And it, it was such a tremendous witnessing opportunity for me to just be me. But, but I don't know if God was worried about that loan and that thousand dollars. And some of the things that the trivial things that we go up to Jesus and this guy's like, Lord, tell him to give me some of the inheritance, you know? He's like, who made me judge over you? And this moment is what frames everything we just heard. Watch this. He goes on and he says, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, said the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought of him to himself, what shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, drink, and wear. Boy, it changes everything when you read the section before it. Good Bible habit for you to have. Whenever you're reading a section that really grips you, read a little bit, a chapter or two before and a chapter or two after and it'll frame it and dial in on what the point Jesus is trying to make. First of all, when Jesus says, take care and guard against covetousness, the whole conversation is struck over a young man who is coveting his brother's reception of the inheritance and is demanding Jesus to get involved because he wants what his brother has. That's covetousness. And Jesus says, hey, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of their possessions. So first of all, that, the words that are here, and I put them in a handout, I encourage you to grab it just to meditate on this truth. Uh, it's out in the foyer if you didn't get one. But that word, take care, 
it says Jesus is basically saying, be vigilant, be on the lookout for something. And it's, it's written in the imperative, which means that there's an exclamation point. Jesus is like, watch out. He's not like, take care of my dog. He's saying, watch out. This is a danger for anyone, whether you're wealthy or impoverished, whether you're in a third world country or a first world country, whether you're educated and affluent or you are not and broke. Take care, watch out. And then he goes on and he says, guard yourself. In other words, not only are you to be vigilant and to watch out like when you're in a, a dangerous situation, but then he says guard, which means don't only watch from the outside what's going on around you, but you need to watch out inside of you. That guard is speaking for you to restrain, restrain yourself from indulging in something. So much so that you're literally being the prison guard over your own Self, restrain yourself. Watch out and restrain yourself. What a tension to have a sense of financial security. It can get you with a left hook and a right uppercut. It can get you from the outside and it can get you right from the inside. But you are in the middle of a fight with anxiety or peace based off of how you view what you have and what you do with what you what you've got. Anybody tracking me on this? This is, this is what wakes me up at three in the morning, two in the morning. Do I have enough? And what's interesting is, is that word life is the Greek word suke, which is actually where we get the word psychology. He's not talking about your life, your heart beating, boom, 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 and then it stops. He's talking about the thing that drives the way you think about life, drives the way you strategize how you're going to get to where you want to go. If I were to give you this, uh, so it's literally the realm of your well-being. That's a big word right now in psychology and counseling. How is your well-being? Um, we all need to look at this. In fact, just a sidebar tip, Pastor Dylan is going through the process of becoming, uh, he's going to Gordon-Conwell, he is studying professional clinical counseling with one of the greatest teams up there that I, that I know of. But he, he just said something in passing about uh, what's in your green zone. What are things that you do and you do them just because they make you happy, just because you enjoy them? If you can't think of something, if you don't have people or things that you do and you're just consumed with work and conflict and and fixing the house or whatever, that becomes very toxic for us. We need to be landed. You know what mine is? Can I just tell you? Shooting guns. Y'all, listen, don't take my catalytic converter. Who is that? Andrew, take care of it. If I were to take this verse and give you kind of what I would say, the Pastor Paul amplified translation, it would read like this. Hey, watch out! And would you please restrain yourself? Your well-being, your sense of security does not come as a result of having a financial buffer or margin or a bunch of stuff. Watch out outside of you. Watch out inside of you. That's literally the thing that God's saying. Now, I have to say this because it's important, I think. But there's a, obviously a destructive force to worrying about money. And notice when Jesus said it, let me just point you back. He said to, he said to them, he said, yeah, let me find it, right? He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for a life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. It's, and at the end of this, listen, this is it, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So right here, this is a great chance for me to begin to say, everybody needs to sell their house. They need to give, right? How many of you have been in churches and church situations or watched online or on the internet a, a, a church organization that is consumed with money? I heard the craziest story. Can I gossip? How about I just share this story? I was with a friend of mine. He's a missionary, and he got a free trip to the Holy Land. 
And he said, it was with a hyper, hyper, hyper faith group that was all about like, God wants everyone to be a millionaire and, and that kind of stuff. And he was talking with me about Israel because he's part of the team that we're working to try and get uh, all of the churches in New England and all the pastors going and trying to get the price down as far as we can. And so we're talking stuff and he begins to share his story. He's listening to mine. He's like, man, I wish I was on that kind of trip. He goes, but let me tell you what happened with me. There was a moment where the evangelist that was there, the minister, and I won't say who they are because you'll recognize them, but they said, they said, all of you who have given $10,000 to the ministry before this trip, come forward. We're going to pray for you first. And so they came forward, right? And then afterwards, Afterwards, he said, all right, and now will the prayer partners please go down? And so they went down and they had little, little credit card holding things. And he said, now the rest of you come on forward if you need a prayer. And uh, make sure that you insert your credit card or your debit card inside that before, before they get a chance to pray with you. And they were literally using like credit and debit cards for that. And then later on in the service, he said this to everybody. Later on on the trip, he said, some of you might be wondering why your prayers weren't answered. My question is, did your credit card decline? Crazy, huh? And I said, come on, bro. You see, he says, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm sitting there talking to him about how we go to the Sea of Galilee and we sit there and we say, let's get called afresh and anew by Jesus. He's like, I wish I had that. They were like, let's refresh our credit card and, and up our giving. It was like, it was awful. It was horrible. I said, bro, you're going to have to come with us next time we go. But like, it was crazy. First of all, I'm not talking about that kind of Christianity. On the other hand, I'm also not preaching out there to any of you that have been blessed with resource or have been blessed with a good paying job or have been blessed with good benefits or come from a family where you have received a lot because that's not big, biblical. Look at this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want you to see this. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is God speaking to the generation that didn't see the miracles in the wilderness but was going to enter into the promise. And he has to set and frame their heart proper. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that I swore to you and your fathers. In other words, Time to be blessed, the promised land. You were slaves for 400 years. Now you're going to be masters of your own fields. God is going to pour out his blessing on you. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord, your God, led these 40 years in the wilderness that you might hum, and that how he humbled you and tested you to know what was in your heart. Now, pause right there. I had two members of, uh, two, two people that attend our church over our house Friday night, and he began to read a passage of something that that um, that that was that was written by C.S. Lewis talking about like well you know what I'll cloud it if I if I go in that direction let me let me reframe this and say it this way one of the things we talked about was this was that when God piled up the stones he told them to do that because there would come a generation afterwards that would not have seen the miracles but needed a starting point to realize that God is a God of miracles. And we began to talk because we were classmates, right? We began to talk about, like, there was a time where you said Zion Bible College, and you were also saying Times Square Church. You were also saying um, Brooklyn Tabernacle, and J Pastor Dave, Pastor Jim, the choirs. We, we our school recorded a, 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 an album with the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It was just, it was just, I mean, like, what happened up here was just, like, warm-up for what God did. But here's the problem is, is that we have a generation of kids who hear about the miracles that we talk about who have never, but have never seen them. And even worse, we're not talking about those things because we're not focused on God. And God told them, hey, put a tangible in front of your kids and tell them. And you know what? They might not experience the miracles that you experience, but they have a starting point to say, God did a miracle for my parents and I may not need a river parted, but I might need a problem solved. And if God did it for mom and dad, if God did it for grandma and grandpa, then God can do it for me. And it's so important that we pass from one generation to the next, these blessings. And so here God is saying, listen, you didn't go through slavery. You just barely were born in the wilderness, but you're about to come into blessing. And I don't want you to get 
out of tune with me. I, I let you go through difficult situations to humble you and test you that you might know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know about. And neither did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the father's mouth. He clothed you to wear uh, that your, he clothed, uh, your clothes did not wear out on your foot, nor did your foot swell. Those of you that are sneaker monsters, right? You got like 50 million sneakers. Imagine if God said to you, you got one pair, but my promise to you is this, they'll, they'll work for the next 40 years. Some of us get stuck in what shoes we're going to wear going to church in the morning, right? Not me. I close, I'm a guy. I just reach in and like, that works. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. You see, I, I say this to say that some of the difficult things we've gone through, God isn't the author of it, but he allows it because he's actually trying to get things out of our heart and to try to get humility into it and dependency on him in it because you can have, I, all the people that I know who have been millionaires, they've been millionaires one day, they've had it, they've lost it, They've gotten it back, and some of them have lost it never to get it back again. And they're like, hey, we had it at least when the kids were young. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways, by fearing him. For, you, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat the bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, and in whose stones are iron, and in whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall be blessed, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good the land has given you. Take care, listen to this, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and his statures, which I command you today, lest you have eaten and are full and have built houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks have multiplied, your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up. In other words, you move from humility to pride, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, who led you through. And later on, he goes on to say, know this, that it is the Lord that gives you the ability to acquire wealth. Timothy Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 10, 1 Timothy, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Loving money, trusting money, putting your well-being in money, stuff, things. See, there's nothing wrong. It is God that enables some of us here and has entrusted us with resource. And maybe you're like me. I am a hardcore middle-class guy, but I get you. I get you. My cousin owns a $54 million house. And I told her we're throwing a party at her house. <laughs> you know, I told my, her, her sister, my, my other little cousin, Brenna, like, we need a family reunion at the $54 million house, you know. But she's not. Some of the, some of the greatest people I've met have been people of resource, but, but this is, this is the, the point. And going back to Luke and what Jesus is trying to get to us with anxiety, he says, verse 21, so it is with those who lay up treasures for themselves and are not rich to God. In other words, you have the Trinity, me, myself, and I. And God is a leftover thought in your life. Now, he's a part of your singing. He's a part of your church attendance. And you are rich in your love for him, and you are rich in that. But when it comes to your resource, God's not allowed to reach into that. It's crazy. I sometimes fear walking, like if I give my wife money, I, f I fear that because usually she comes back and she's like, I saw this person, and I just felt like God told me to do it. <laughs> like, ah. She's just very generous. Both of us are like that. Both of us are like that. Both of us faithfully tithe. Both of us faithfully give to missions. That's how we live our life. It's the long game. It's just like retirement. You just 
drip, drip, drip. And, and, and the problem here is, is there's a brother that wants more, is asking Jesus to get involved so that Jesus will increase his stuff and his things. And Jesus is like, man, guard yourself. Watch outside yourself. Watch inside yourself. And he's speaking to the brothers at first against covetousness. And covetousness is wanting something that somebody else has or wanting something for yourself that you don't have, or even worse, wanting something that somebody has and you want to take the thing that they've got. And that's in the Big Ten. It's like we have to watch our heart. Listen, the sin is accumulating riches for oneself. One scholar writing about this said there's three parts here. There's a hoarding of one's possessions. There's, a, a, there's another sinful aspect of where we assume that life can be secured by a measure of possessions. You know, once I get this amount of money, I'm safe. And then regarding property, stuff and things, most of all, the biggest struggle that God has with us is, is that we actually think that it's ours. And he switches down and he says, I tell you the truth, do not be anxious. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the lie that you can get enough and not worry anymore and not have to think about that and that you can have enough stuff that that stuff will make you happy. And it never does. Now, do you understand? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having resource. There are some beautiful people I know who are incredibly generous and incredibly full of resource. And I am like a middle-class kid, and that's been my world. I walk sometimes in the realm of the wealthy, and I've walked continually in the realm of the poor because we're all God's children, and we don't class people by how much money they have, but we class people by the fact that, that they're God's, God loves them. Whether they know him or not, they're his children, and he wants to become their father. But anxiety, man, it's been out of control. And I think a lot of the fear with COVID was not just that, but how many of you got on all, all of a sudden the word shortages hit your head? Shortages. Some of you were like toilet paper hoarders. <laughs> you guys could clean the backside of three-fourths of America with the stockpile you have. It's terrible. And I'm guilty of it, right? Now, you have to understand something about me. I am a very, I am, not a, I am not a prepper, and I am not a hoarder, but I am a very prepared individual. There are very few situations. And my wife would tell you, like, we've got go bags, man, in our house. Like, uh, if war ever breaks out in our country, we're ready. But my kid, every single one of us, we got a bag. We got everything from, like, getting water so you could drink out of a puddle and be okay to, to, to travel snack bars to... Uh, stitches to like, I'm, I'm just a prepare. I hope I never use it. My son, I, I said, Hey, these are for us. My son was like, dad, uh, Andrew was, uh, uh, he said, dad, I don't want to live in a world where I need your bag. I don't, you know, but I just, I'm, I'm very, you know, combat military minded. And I'm like, you, you know, how many, like, look at what's happening in Ukraine, you know, and just, good grief. And, 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 you know, I, I wish I had more finances that I wish my house was paid off. I wish that, uh, you know, I had more of a buffer, but, but I can't live the life I want. I have to live the life that I have. And so I need to be content. And so Jesus says, listen, he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And that's your psyche, your mind. Some of you have been out of your mind in this time because you're worrying about things and you're living for things that Jesus did not die for. It's okay to stock up on food. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to stockpile toilet paper. It's, it is an important thing. But, but, but at the end of the day, like you have to live your life. In Proverbs, it says it like this. There's somebody in the house, they say, there's a lion outside. And what, what does that mean? The proverb is basically saying that you're so filled with fear that you're unwilling to go about living your life because of what might happen. If you're the kind of person that you are withholding yourself from doing certain things because you're afraid of what might happen, you are in the grip of anxiety. And Jesus wants to bring peace. He wants to bring his kingdom to help you to trust with wisdom this isn't a counter-COVID message where everyone needs to be maskless. There are people that come to our church, they work in COVID 
uh, places, and they're like, Pastor, you should be happy that I got a mask on. I'm like, thank you, keep wearing it. But when Jesus says, do not be anxious, he's literally writing that with the word in Greek for no that says, absolutely no way, absolutely not, do not, ever, never, ever be anxious. And anxiousness is an apprehension. It's having anxiety, being anxious, unduly concerned about the two famous words that we never put in our mind or in our heart, but they drive every fear that we have. What if? What if? What if we crash again? What if, what if we lose everything? What if we, you can't live your life from that disposition? And Jesus says, don't be, ang- don't be anxious about your life. That's your well-being. Some of us are actually toxic to our own well-being. And the peace of God cannot break through because we're not willing to break off that piece of our thinking that has taken the spot that God wants to fill to say, don't worry, don't be anxious of your life, and don't seek. It's an investigation, a deliberate, try to get and reach something in pursuit of gold. Don't worry. In other words, don't become apprehensive about what is going to possibly happen as if you're hanging uncertain in the air, worried to become apprehensive about what's going on, what's going to happen. You become obsessed with uncertainty and you are living in the realm of anxiety. You are outside of the peace of God and you are in the place of personal control of just what might happen instead of what actually is happening in your life. And God hasn't called you to live in that place. The angel said, fear not, but that's not what this is. Jesus is saying, anxious not. Do you know, fear and faith are prophets in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and one of them will give you the worst prediction. One of them will give you the best prediction, but both of them are making predictions about something that hasn't happened yet. And if you cannot add a minute to your life. Why are you taking away from your life with worry, fear, anxiety, and caution on a level that is no longer reasonable? I think some of us need to break out from what broke in on us as a culture. We had friends over, as I was saying just the other night, and as they were coming over, my wife and I, we kind of looked at each other, but we both admitted to each other like, oh my gosh, we haven't had guests over in so long. It's almost like we don't know what to do. And we're like running around nervous or whatever. I was like, wait a second. These are like longtime friends. I've known them from the beginning when I was in Bible college. Like, and it was such a great moment. Like I looked at the phone and all of a sudden it was 11 o'clock at night when, and, and we had eaten dinner together. And I was like, wow, that was great. I'm back. Jesus gives two pictures and he says, hey, birds don't go crazy. Why should you? Flowers don't concentrate on making themselves look top notch. Why should you? Instead, he says this, seek the kingdom and these things will be added to you. What is the kingdom, right? I think we think of it future tense. What's interesting, this is going to sound very geeky to you, but I'd encourage a book to, to any of my, I have a lot of friends that are here, they're, they're scholars. So I always feel this obligation to not only say something, but I have to kind of point them in a direction. But there's a book by a man by the name of David Flueser called uh, The Sage of Galilee. And in there he has a chapter on the kingdom, and he talks about this. But what you have to understand is whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's exactly the same thing that the rabbis are talking about in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, the the, uh, Essenes. And and in fact, the only place that you hear the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of of heaven is in the writings of Jesus in the gospels, in in the words of Jesus, and in the writings of the Jewish people surrounding the time of Jesus. So it's important to understand that this is not a Christian term. If I, I said kingdom of God, I could go to the early church fathers and they all use the phrase kingdom of God. They begin to adopt kingdom of heaven, but the understanding of the kingdom of heaven comes from Jesus. And Jesus said it like this in Luke 17, 21. He said, nor will they say, look it, here it is, or there, there it is. Behold, the kingdom of God is with you in your midst. The kingdom of heaven is here. What, what, what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the sages felt 
that the kingdom of heaven, the every day, if you were Jewish, just like how we have the, 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 the Our Father, three times a day, Jews would pray a prayer. And one part of it came from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema, which means hear. It says, Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, he is one. You will love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And then it goes on to say, other verses that talk about you will obey the commandments and you will fulfill the commandments and you will obey the Lord your God and all that he commands you to do, just like Deuteronomy 8 said. Now keep your thinking cap on here for a second because the sages say, why does the Shema start by saying it will come to pass that you will keep my commandments? And one rabbi said, because in order for you to be a part of the kingdom, it starts with you saying, you shall love the Lord with all your heart. You see, being a part of the kingdom isn't being part of a moral code. Being a part of the kingdom, if it was, good grief, we're all in trouble because the whole purpose of Jesus is to take care of the problem we created in breaking God's code and God's law and God's, God's um, standard but it starts, the only way that you experience the kingdom like we experienced here is it has to start with a point where you say, God, I, I need you. I acknowledge you're there. I love you. I want to possess you. Give me Jesus. Take all this world has. Give me Jesus. God, I, I need you so much in my life. I can't buy my way out of this. I can't reason my way out of it. I can't fight my way out of it. I just can't get out of this place. God, would you? And then you know what happens? The king shows up. And Jesus' standard for the kingdom was, you cannot have the kingdom unless you have me. We can walk around and we can say, oh, I believe in God and God this and God that. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. No one comes to the Father except through me. Unless you believe in your, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is the one who died on the cross, was buried, suffered the penalty and took your death sentence and then rose from the dead. Unless you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, in your heart of hearts and are willing to embrace. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. But Jesus did what nobody else did. He rose from the dead. He is Lord. I'm not. He is God. I'm not. He forgave my sins. I couldn't. Then you enter the kingdom. Mary Magdalene was in a conversation with Jesus, and at one point Jesus said this. He said, he said if you love me, you'll obey your, my commandments. And any of you who've grown up in the Catholic Church or the Pentecostal Church where legalism is premier, the riptide of church, nobody sees it, but it pulls you right out. You know, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. But as for the rest of it, you better keep his commandments because if you mess any of them up, you know, he'll probably ignore you, right? The problem we were dealing with here this morning. But, but he, he comes out and he's, he, he says, Listen, the kingdom is about you first acknowledging that there is a king and he's not wanting to destroy your life. He's willing to bless your life. And Mary Magdalene, she, he said to her, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, but you have to look at it in the original Greek and grammar. And I encourage my, my Greek reading friends that are here, it literally reads and plays out in such a way that says, if you love me, the eventual byproduct will be that you will obey my commandments. Anybody ever been in love? Man, when I found out that my wife liked flowers and Rolos, <laughs> she got them. When you love somebody, you want to please that person. And some of us in our Christian walk, we thought the church was this place that we go when we're doing things wrong so that, uh, you know, God will just bless us and we go our way. God can't bless you out of your problem. He guides you out of the problem. And this is why the verse ends like this. And I'm going to ask the worship team just to come up, but it ends like this. He says this, it says, fear not, little flock. Now, all of a sudden, he comes into the role of a shepherd. A shepherd guides the sheep through deserts and dry places into a place where they can eat and live and be okay. He brings them to water where there is no water. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Then he says this, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourself money bags that do not grow old with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wish I could make all of your decisions for you. But what I do know is that what I just read here this morning is the word of God, the way that it was spoken to the people that were there. Two brothers fighting over an inheritance. He's like, man, your life's going to be a wreck if you are self-centered, but you're not generous towards God. Then he turns to his disciples. He's like, hey, you're not in the same boat as those guys, but please, I'm warning you from outside of your life, but man, even more so to warn you inside of your life, you are going to live a life of anxiety if you are driven by what if. I don't want that for you. I want wherever you go for my presence to show up and bring hope and life and love and good things. I'm not worried about you if you understand that I am the good shepherd and I want to give you the kingdom. But my goodness, if we're self-centered and we're not rich towards God, that's where we're at. I'm just going to say it, you know. I'm just going to be obedient and, and just say this. But this week in our office, I had to let a staff member go. Not a pastor, but our office person. Every week the pastors come up here. This isn't the purpose of my message, but it's certainly something I'm just going to say because we're a church and I think you need to hear it. But I had, to, I, had to, I, went, I had to explain to this person, we really would love to have you work here, but we can't afford you because we've cut our budget by 21%. And everywhere we've cut possible, we've cut it because of COVID, because of things not being back where they are. But your salary and your benefits and all that, we just, I'm so sorry. And we're... We're, we do the best. We're not because we're a church. We can't give unemployment. We're not. We don't pay into that. So the board, being amazing at, at people that they are, we agreed and said, let's give this person four weeks of severance and and keep their health insurance in place for a month. But as pastor of this church, so many of you come here, and you give to God like He's a wishing fountain, and chuck a quarter in there. And every week, we thank you for your giving. I said this to the staff. I said, we need to share the stories of what God's doing through giving. But we thank you for giving. But to be honest with you, about 15% of you give. And here's something I understand. Number one, I'm not trying to shame you. You can think that. There are many, many generous people that are here that carry the work. But you're worried and you're wondering why you have no peace in your life because you want Jesus to be Lord of your sorrow, Lord of your dreams, Lord of your trouble, but you don't want him to be Lord of your finances. I can't make you see the value of what it is to make sure that your possessions don't possess you and that you are rich to God, that you give so that we're able to store up finances in heaven I'm not saying go sell everything you have or carve all that, but the Lord, as members of the, if you're not a member of this church, I'm please understand. If you're watching online, please understand. If you're not a member of this community, I'm not talking to you, but if you, for, for, for 15%, that'd be 30 people out of 200 are the ones that are only giving. My encouragement, my challenge to you is this, is not for me all of a sudden to just share with you how we had to let somebody go and this was all working up to this moment. It wasn't. I'm just going to be bold enough to say it. But to be able to say this, some of you have anxiety in your life because you are holding on to funds and are being worried that you're not going to have enough. My wife and I remembered just recently when I was working at the Bible college making peanuts, worried that we would lose our house, our furnace went. One thing we always did, whether I was making $119 a week or whether I was making more than that, I always honored God with the tithe. 
I gave him a tenth. To this day, I show my tithe goes to the district. They, it doesn't go to the church, it goes to the district. Our missions giving goes to the church. But we are technically would be in some of the top givers of what we do because we honor God with the tithe, with the tithe and we give beyond the tithe to missions. And I show the board that every, every year, I show them that. But I remember when we were at the school and we had no money and I'm like, oh my gosh. And our furnace broke. It was the coldest night in history. I'm not joking. It was the coldest night in history. Forget what year it was, but, and the guy came in and we were, it kept shutting off and he came in and he said, yeah, I had to shut it down because it's uh, backdrafting. And I'm like, you're shutting down the furnace? Like, you can't shut down this furnace. Like, my, I've got children upstairs. What are you doing? And he left, and he left us with nothing. And then I had to go and run a prayer meeting for Calvary, where I was, where I was serving on staff there and, uh, as a support to them. And we went to a place, a, a retreat center, and I'm, I'm part of this prayer leadership thing. And I'm dying inside. Like, God, I've given my life to you. Like, what? And then all of a sudden, they're like, Pastor Paul, can we pray for you for something? And I just said, I said to my wife before I left for this prayer meeting, I said, I think I need to leave the ministry so that I can pay for the needs of my family. And we were really thinking that. And then all of a sudden, and we're not at that place here. I'm not making a comparative there, but this was where I was at that point in my life. And all of a sudden, one, this was a group of people who I knew and who loved me. And all of a sudden, one of the ladies starts crying and she opens up her checkbook. She writes a check for $1,000 and she hands it to me and she says, this is not pity money. This is not response money. This is God telling me to tell you that if you are faithful to him, he will be faithful to you. And immediately after that, Another person, and another person, and another person, and another person, and God provided that funds to keep us from living in a house in winter, ice cold. We couldn't afford to fix it. My possessions do not possess me. There is nothing wrong with having something, but you can be poor and cheap, and you can be wealthy and cheap. You can be rich and generous, and you can be poor and be generous. There's an anxiety that directly correlates to a false sense of security. And God doesn't need our money. We need in our giving. God is helping us to understand that there is no such thing as a margin of safety. There's a father in heaven and a kingdom. God is good and he has not forgotten you. And he wants to give you the kingdom. And it isn't that we're up here with, with holding things, saying pray and put your credit card in here. That's ridiculous. We're not a church like that. But we are a church that believes that we can be free from the grip and the anxiety of finances. But it requires us to be in a covenant relationship with God where we give to Caesar what is Caesar's but we give to God what is God's. How many times have I spoken on finances here? How many times have I like gotten up here and ever said anything about like, never, never. I just feel a peace from God to share this because this is where we're at in the book of Luke. And this is what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about saying, I want to bless your needs. I want to bless you. At the same time, I don't want your possessions to cause fear and anxiety in your life in such a way that it all depends on you because it doesn't. Some of you are gifted, creative, innovative people, and God is going to use that. And you will be part of an upper class financially, but you will always have a heart for the impoverished. Some of you will forever be with me in the middle class, but guess what? You're going to love people above and below you financially because you don't view them through the lenses of dollars. You, move, you view them through the lenses of, of Jesus. And there are so many beautiful people in all spectrums of this. It is the love of money and the lie of being a margin of safety. That's the root of evil. So Father, right now, 
Let's stand across this room. Lord, we thank you for showing up. We thank you for your word and your spirit agreeing here. Everything that happens here today is the kingdom. The whole passage is about the kingdom, but you took one time to talk about the kingdom and generosity. And Father, some of us today have been in fear. We've been in anxiety, Lord, maybe over COVID, maybe over uh, dreams that are no longer possible because of the current conditions jobs that we had and futures and trajectories that were set that were just interrupted. Lord God, incomes and goals that aren't going to be met anymore, but that doesn't matter. Lord, what matters is that you are king and you are, are want the kingdom. You're not going to withhold the kingdom from us. So Lord, right now, first we start with love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We say to you, Jesus, we love you. We respect you. We care for you. And we want to be children of the kingdom. We want to be free from anxiety, free from the love of money, free, Lord God, from the fear of what if. We don't want to live our life hanging in the, in the air, making predictions of the future. You never called us to that. That is not our business. Lord, we can't say we'll go to this city and that city and do this and that, but we're to say if the Lord wills. Lord, help us not to look for the life that we wanted. Help us to look for the life that you've given us. Help us to choose joy. We choose joy. Lord, right now, there's somebody here, their life is financially falled apart, but Lord, they can choose joy in Jesus' name. We, Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We choose you. We choose the king. We choose your kingdom. Lord, we may not have what we want. We may, we may not get where we wish, but we can always be assured you will provide for us what we need. And we, Lord, would be a church that would be not only generous to ourselves, but generous towards God. And Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would release us this week, this month, but this, this day, Lord, mindful of the truths you're trying to speak to us here, holding on to the blessing that you offered at this altar there. And God, we take this and we walk into our week with confidence to know that the Lord is with us wherever we go. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in grace. Go in God. Love you. If be mindful of the bands, but if somebody is like, uh, you know, no band or whatever, feel free to say, love you. Offer the fist bump first, and then if they're a hugger, they'll, they'll cross that threshold. God bless you guys. Thank you. They're going to sing as we go here. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you, and God bless.